May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and on today's podcast, we will be talking about all things mental health, including suicide prevention. This episode contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions and take care of yourself. Welcome to the Lady Lawyer League podcast. They're a league of lady lawyers in an all-female law firm in Omaha, Nebraska called Hightower Ref Law. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of what it's like to be a lady lawyer and an entrepreneur. Now it's time to talk about the law, share real-life stories about representing clients, and discuss the current events of the week. It's the Lady Lawyer League podcast with Susan Ref and Tracy Hightower-Henny. We today have two special guests with us, Jen Sparrock and Tia Manning, both with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, AFSP. Welcome again. Thank you for coming back to our podcast. And Tia really is an expert now. Uh, Punch card is coming. I know on Saturday Night Live, they get like a jacket if they've been there five, for five, five times. Yeah. So maybe oh, that's, you're getting close to the jacket worthiness, Tia. Ooh. Tia, you've already been on the podcast more times than some people that work here. So I definitely need an office. You'd need an office. <laughs> but here's the catch. If you have an office here, you have to provide some sort of mental health therapy to the people that work here. I like think- in passing, like that's- over coffee. I think I could do that. Okay. Posters count in my windows or Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm doing Yeah, and little little cute catchphrases. I love it. Do you do you do you So I'm trying to decorate my house and all the decoration-y things all have cute little phrases on them. And you like don't you like them? Well, can you have like four hundred phrases all over your house when you walk in you're just reading the walls all the time? I'm so sick of this trend. You all are like, whatever. <laughs> Sometimes when I say this to people, Your they're like, so I hard. hate I all that. Like, live, laugh, love. <laughs> yeah. Eat. It's like says eat in the kitchen and yes. like wash in the bathroom. Like, what? What is this crap? When did we become so stupid that we need to have these things on the wall telling me to live, laugh, and love? If I didn't have that on the wall. Well, we are talking about Mental Health Awareness Month. So maybe live, laugh, love is an okay thing to have on your wall. I think, though, when you have like 500, like when you walk into. It can be overwhelming. Yeah. When you walk into the store and it's like, that's all there is to choose from. I agree. That was my rant. Rant over of decorating and funny ironic quotes i would i will say that i'll come to your house because my like my house is all marble so marbles marvel oh mm-hmm. like the superheroes yes that's yeah <gasps> captain america is life in my house is he your favorite no <laughs> <laughs> wait okay so who is your favorite marvel character um i will oh i like iron man because i like the sense of humor and all the things like that but my partner is captain america okay all day so those are the two big like they're the two rival marvels right they got in a big fight they tried to kill each other oh civil war yeah 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 i'm impressed that i even knew yeah, that. I, yeah i'm impressed that susan knows this oh i know a lot of oh marvel. you have a son no i like it too Oh, oh, I, like I didn't know this. I like Marvel movies. Ten years and I didn't know. Mm. The curtain is lifted. <laughs> Susan hates quotes, uh, decorating quotes, and likes Marvel movies. Same. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. So uh, <laughs> let's right. transition. Jen, Jen, tell us again um, who you are um, in case 
the listeners haven't listened to our first episode with you, which you should go back and listen. But Jen, tell us who you are. Sure. So I'm Jen Sparrock. And um, my vocation is that I am a licensed independent clinical social worker, which is a big mouthful of stuff. Uh, But I work with individuals who have mental health issues and have done that most of my life in one way or another, uh, whether it's been in a hospital setting or um, in community based work. And really am passionate about working with folks who are experiencing mental health challenges, a lot of us do, and helping people find a space where they can recover and, um, you know, live a life that is meaningful to them. Um, Right now, I am the manager of the Psychiatric Emergency Services at Nebraska Medicine, and we've been there for about 18 months, and that's been a really um, fun ride to... um, really be able to see us meeting a need that wasn't there in our community before. And my volunteer time outside of my work life is with uh, AFSP and connecting with people for suicide prevention and providing education and resources for folks. So AFSP is the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, um, nonprofit, I assume. Yes. And so what kind of activities in the community are they doing? Yeah, so AFSP is a national organization. We're the Nebraska chapter. Um, Every state in the United States and Puerto Rico have at least one chapter. Some have several. Um, And really, there's kind of four pillars that AFSP focuses its work on. Um, Programs and education, which is one of the things that I do, which is going out in the community, being at conventions and giving out resources, doing educational talks in schools and um, community um, organizations um, to provide provide education about suicide and make us more informed as a community about that. Um, We also do a lot of work with uh, research. Um, AFSP is the um, largest nonprofit that does independent research on suicide and suicide prevention. Um, And then we have um, our advocacy pillar, which is really about connecting with legislators on a local, state, and federal level to put forth some of the initiatives that help affirm um, suicide prevention and uh, mental health concerns in our country. Um, And then the last one is loss and healing. And that's the piece for folks who have lost somebody to suicide or for somebody with lived experience, which is somebody who has had their own suicide attempt or um, have had pervasive suicidal thoughts. So the loss and healing is really designed to help instill hope for people um, and find um, a path beyond that loss that they have have endured. Mm -hmm. And Tia, um, this is your third time now. (laughs) But tell us who you are um, for the listeners that haven't met you yet. Uh, So I'm Tia Manning. I am a licensed mental health therapist. Um, My full-time job is I work for Nebraska Coalition to End Sexual and Domestic Violence. And um, in that was educating folks on how mental health also impacts those survivors that we're working with harmed by trauma. And then um, also providing education to the community of working with folks that are in our um, carceral system that have been harmed by sexual violence and then also those that are um, in our carceral system that have mental health diagnosis. And so like Jen, right, like I also volunteer with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. um, And I'm pretty lucky because Jen and I are actually doing a lot of the same things. So program and education, traveling around and educating 
a variety of different folks throughout the community of what it looks like to be educated on um, suicide prevention. And then um, we also do stuff with like loss and healing and stuff like that, where we have the Survivor Day in November, um, where family members from all across the state can come together and share the memory of the person they lost by suicide, while also building those connections and having that community pace together. Well, May being Mental Health Awareness Month, we really wanted to talk about suicide prevention as we think about this month and the awareness around uh, mental health. And um, one of the things that we thought would be really helpful is to talk about some myths about suicide um, and maybe some of the um, statistics that we know about Nebraska and suicide in Nebraska um, and maybe what people can do to help support someone who is either contemplating suicide um, or who has um, attempted suicide and how they can help. So tell us about um, any of those things, like the myths about suicide, I'm really interested in some of those things that we hear. Well, first, you know, I, I give you guys kudos for um, having a conversation about suicide because it can be an awkward um, subject to discuss. And so I think because of that, we don't talk about it and it makes us uncomfortable. Then it's hard to keep talking about something. The more we mm -hmm. talk about something, the more comfortable we become. And it doesn't become this thing that's so far out there that that um, it doesn't feel like it's a real uh, thing or impacts our lives. Um, you know, we know that most people who die by suicide um, have some type of underlying mental health condition. Um, and whether that was treated or not, um, you know, a fair number of times it's not. We know access to mental health care is really um, difficult, not just in Nebraska, but across the country country um, right now. So um, people don't always seek that help. When you talk about some of the myths of suicide, um, one of the big ones that we hear from folks is, well, I don't really want to ask her if she's thinking about killing herself because I don't want to put an idea in her head. Oh boy. Um, and that's not true. Yeah. Um, if somebody was thinking about suicide, they were already thinking about it. Mm -hmm. By you asking them if they're thinking about taking their life, um, you're not putting an idea in there. In fact, what our research shows is just the opposite. Right. It shows that um, by you asking that person, there can be a tremendous sense of relief mm. because people hold that inside. They feel like they're alone. They feel like they don't matter. They feel like nobody understands what they're going through. So the fact that you see someone and you say something to that person really can be affirming and that can be a life-saving measure by itself. Just that. Mm, yeah. The other thing, too, that, you know, in chatting before the podcast um, is you talked a lot about words matter around suicide and just using different phrases as opposed to saying mm. commit suicide mm. and using die by suicide mm -hmm. um, because of the stigma around right. suicide. Well, if you think about it, what are the things that we commit? Crimes. We commit crimes. Um, and having a mental health condition is not criminal and somebody dying by suicide is not criminal and so people don't commit those things mm -hmm. um, and so changing those words takes some of that power and some of that blame that is connected to the person off the situation it, it makes it um something that is invites more of a conversation with that person so somebody and and for the people around them um there's a lot of shame that is um 
present when somebody dies by suicide and the families and the loved ones don't get that same attention. Um, you know, folks that have died by suicide, when I've talked to loss survivors, they'll say that this is the loss that you don't get the casserole for. Mm -hmm. And what they mean by that is, um, you know, if somebody dies from cancer or somebody dies from a heart attack, um, you know, as a community, we generally make our meal train or whatever else, and we're going to take things over to the, the family and um, help them through whatever, you know, the struggle yeah. may be. And um, suicide is not something that you get the casserole for. In fact, it's the secret. And it's the thing a lot of times the families don't feel like they can talk about. Mm -hmm. So um, I think using different language and different words takes away some of the shame and takes away some of the stigma about it. Another thing that we, you know, talk about with words is um, not using um, that somebody had a successful attempt or a failed attempt mm. because we don't want people to be successful in dying by suicide mm. and we don't want somebody to feel like they're a failure if yeah. they didn't die because they had an attempt. I think that also passes judgment, right? Mm. When we use failed or unsuccessful, yeah. there's a sense of judgment there already that with that shame and all the other things that are going on with that person too. So that's a great point. Sorry, I interrupted you. Well, I'm really happy to know these things because, um, you know, just educating someone, hey, you just, you just said someone committed suicide, you know, think about saying that a different way and having them, you know, go out and start saying things a different way is really important. Yeah. yeah. Well, and we chatted about this, but I, I'm not sure if the general, general people know that as attorneys, especially doing family law and criminal defense and estate planning, we have suicide is, is talked about quite frequently. Um, you know, people are in stressful situations. They're not, um, you know, maybe people aren't able to manage their mental health as well as they would, we would want for them, you know? And so sometimes in the middle of a case, um, we will have a suicide attempt or even a death, you know? And so how we can be part of the conversation either before or after so that we're, we're being a supportive person or saying the right things and, you know, getting, getting the message across the best way we want to, to our clients or their family. Yeah, I think that's huge. Um, you know, a lot of times, of course, when someone dies by suicide, there is um, a lot of questions like, why did that person do it? Or, oh, it must have been because they were going through a divorce yeah. or, um, you know, the why's because it there's it, it feels very helpless to that person and people that are left with the loss. And um, one of the things that we talk about and we know in our research is that um, there are risk factors that are attached to people who may be um, contemplating suicide or take their life. And there are warning signs, things that we can watch for that are behavior changes. Um, 
but one event by itself is not generally the thing that is going to um, lead somebody to make an attempt or to take their life. Mm -hmm. It is a converging of lots of things. Mm -hmm. So when you think of like an iceberg in the ocean, the, the tip of the iceberg is what's outside of the water. So that might be the stressful event, the losing yeah. their job, the you know child that dies, is some kind of an event, life event like that. But under the water is much bigger than the little bit that we see outside of the water. And so those things underneath, whether that's an underlying mental health condition or it's somebody who has a family history of suicide or somebody who has, um, you know, a, a difficulty with substance use or things like that that are all mm -hmm. risk factors that contribute then um, to when that other situation happens and those things converge at the same time, mm -hmm. it can really put that person um, in a vulnerable spot. Absolutely. Well, and yeah, what we see in our office too with our clients who are going through difficult situations is it's a cumulative effect, mm -hmm. you know, just like you described with the iceberg and what's under the water. And sometimes I'll have clients say, well, I had to put my mental health treatment on hold because I can't focus on that and this divorce. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that's a really hard thing to say, no, 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 I need you to continue that piece and we'll help you through the divorce piece. You don't have to do that alone. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, we talked a little bit too about those feelings and that it's not just one incident for the person around the person who's struggling, that it's, that we often will blame ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what did I do? Mm -hmm. What could I have done better? Was it, was it, you know, if, if there is something that the other person's directly involved in, was it that thing, you know, like if they broke up with them, if they, said no to whatever it was that person wanted them, you know, like, did I cause them to, you know, attempt suicide mm -hmm. or whatever? Um, you know, like, and, and hearing you say there's so many, it's not just one thing. It's not like somebody out of the blue is like a bad thing happened. I'm, I'm now going to think about suicide. Mm -hmm. Like, you said it, it's this mm -hmm. accumulation of many, many events. Right. And what we also know with folks who um, have ended their life or have attempted is there is a tremendous amount of pain that is connected to that person. And that is this emotional pain and this inability to see a way that that pain is ever going to get better. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, there are um, times when a person's judgment related to that becomes really impaired because that we all can get like that, right? Where we have tunnel vision and we can't see any way out of a situation. And that feels really hopeless mm -hmm. and it feels really, um, you're very helpless and you feel like you have no other choices. And if I cannot bear this pain anymore, um, if you know, if you have your hand on a hot stove, you're going to lift your hand off that hot stove because you can't bear that pain for very long. Mm -hmm. um, so when we think about folks who are in a suicidal crisis, um, they're really in this space where there's some ambivalence about living and dying. Right. And so we want to focus more on what are the things we can do to help that person feel like there are things that um, are going to be in their life that will make life not as painful for them mm -hmm. and minimize the things that are making life feel so painful to them. Mm -hmm. And so we really kind of wrestle in that space of the ambivalence, um, which is why some of the things that we do with suicide prevention and education, we talk about means restriction. 
And what that means is um, limiting access to the things somebody may use in a suicide attempt, because we know that time and restricting the means are the biggest um, indicators that we can save people's lives. So we know that, um, you know, firearms tend to be um, the most lethal means that a person would use. Um, and so we have no position on gun control, but we do take a position on keeping firearms safe mm -hmm. when they're in somebody's home because um, there is a, a, such a high lethality when a firearm is used in a suicide attempt. So keeping those firearms safe is really important. I think also, too, another way is we have like medication lockboxes that we advocate for folks to use. <clears throat> and inside those, we also have like packets of things that once a lot of folks keep meds, like if I have that headache one day or whatever it be. Mm -hmm. But in there, we have like this packet you put in your meds with water and it dissolves it. So then that way it's not even usable at all as another oh. way to discard meds that. Mm. You don't want to you can do at house. home too, yep. as opposed to taking, taking it and mm -hmm. dropping it at mm -hmm. one of those drop spots. Because yeah. especially like I don't know, like as busy as we are now, it's usually sometimes one more thing to do. You see it on the news, you can drop your meds yep. off if you have access to that in your house. That's mm -hmm. also another thing that yeah for safety and access. What's some of the advocacy work that AFSP has done? I'm really interested in that. Mm. Well, there's a big one that's going to come up this summer, <laughs> which I think is really cool. Um, and it's one of those experiences that I, you know, I think we've had that we get to see when you advocate, change can happen. And so that's the implementation of the 988 um, suicide um, lifeline number. So right now it's a 1877 number that yeah, people have to call and um you know it has a great it's a great service and it really has has saved lives i have no doubt about it but again if you're in a crisis and you're having an emergency mm -hmm. we call 911 mm -hmm. and we all just know that but if you're having a mental health crisis and your thoughts are really like focused and narrow it's difficult to remember a really long number yeah. so um Congress passed last year um, funding for 988, making that a national number. So mm -hmm. in July, every state has to be ready to implement the mm -hmm. conversion to the crisis hotline number to be 988. So um, that is, a, I think, a really um, big change for mm -hmm. our uh, society because it also is putting that on the same level as a medical emergency, yeah, as a yeah. mental health emergency. So I think that's done a lot to also affirm that it is okay to ask for help. Absolutely. Yeah. And on, on that 988, we'll, you'll have access to, um, in Nebraska, what they're working on is who will be receiving those calls, right? So it could be a clinician, a peer support specialist, it could be other folks that can relate um, in that immediate crisis. And not, al not always a response from law enforcement, which at times can be harmful. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about peer support because I have heard of peer support in other mental health areas, but not around suicide prevention. So tell us more about that. Um, so peer support is something that I am a huge fan of. Um, and essentially what it is, is folks that um, are own, living with their own mental diagnosis, mental health diagnosis. Um, and they are in the community, whether they're um, working at a local hospital. I have folks that I work with that go and do the crisis response team with me or CIT, excuse me. 
And so um, they're able to be that support to that person that may be in a mental health crisis and also give hope to that person to say, I can relate. I've been where you are, but then also family members as well to be able to see another person that may have the same diagnosis, similar diagnosis and um, yeah, be able to provide support. But I know Jen works with them more. So, no, I think that's exactly right. I think that there's a unique piece that peers have Mm -hmm. in that they have walked a mile in the shoes um, with their own journey and they're living in recovery. And so these are folks who have um, gone through special training and they are certified and they bring a lot of richness to a workplace. benefiting the folks that we're serving, right? Because like Tia was saying, providing hope that this can get better. Like Mm -hmm. when somebody's in a crisis, it feels like it's never going to get better. And so being able to see that, oh, somebody else has been through this. um, And they also do a tremendous job of helping us as clinicians know what that experience is like for somebody um, when they're in a crisis and what's helpful and just as uh, important what's not helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they've gone through some training. Right. Yeah. In the state of Nebraska, they have to go through a, a training course. They have to take an exam and um, they get certified through mm-hmm. uh, the state just like another clinician would. Yeah. yeah. One of the phrases that we've heard a lot when we talk about or we were researching suicide prevention is talk saves lives. Mm-hmm. Is that simply the idea of talking about it, talking about suicide and talking about Mm -hmm. suicide prevention could reach somebody who needs, you know, who needs that help or needs those supports. I believe, is there more to it? No, I think that's a great point. I think that by talking about it, we're opening up um, a conversation that a lot of folks are uncomfortable having. Right. And if we're not having that conversation, then what? So I think part of it is the, the first step in my opinion is, having that conversation, willing to have that talk to save someone's life. Mm-hmm. And then from there, being very unique of what that looks like in regards to supporting that person from there. And can it even be bigger? Can it be, you know, general education for everyone? Maybe someone is not thinking about suicide or they, their mental health is is stable, but giving giving them tools to talk to other people you know it's like a conduit absolutely i mean i think you could look at some of that like we do cpr like we learn cpr because we never know when something might happen someplace Mm -hmm. right so there are you know short courses like that that can be taken for anybody not meant to be a mental health professional but just to be able to have have a tool to see somebody to help somebody if you see them in crisis yeah. mm-hmm. and so one of our um, education programs is called talk saves lives and it really walks through being able to um, know what the scope of the problem is um, and understand that it's not as small as what people think um, and to show some of the research, talk about what those risk factors are. What are those warning signs you look for? And then for goodness sakes, what do we do? Most of us would want to, in fact, research Mm -hmm. shows most people would want to do something. They just don't necessarily know what to do. Mm -hmm. And because it's a, um, oftentimes a scary subject for people, they don't want to do the wrong thing. And so, um, 
And the, the irony of that is by not saying something, um, that actually can be not something that causes somebody to make an attempt, but it um, doesn't allow that person to know that you see them and that you are concerned about them, which is really one of the most important things that we can do when we're concerned about somebody, whether it's their general mental health or it's their, you know, something, some behavior or something that's changed that makes you worry, you know, for their yeah. safety or whether they're thinking about suicide. Now, both Jen and Tia are wearing these <laughs> amazing t-shirts that say hope across the front. And so explain the t-shirt and the message on your t-shirts. Well, I mean, <laughs> I think the piece really for when we talk about, you know, our mission, um, which is to, um, you know, bring hope and save lives right. is that, um, for the person who's struggling where there's so much pain and it feels like nobody can see you and nobody is aware of you and um, that this is never going to get better, that it does and it will. And there are people who see you and there are people who care. I don't know you and I care about you and I don't want yeah. you to die. And um, and that there's hope for people who have lost somebody mm -hmm. that it's a you know, most people in it that work with AFSP are lost survivors and they say it's it's the club none of us ever well, chose to be in. Right. Um, but they find um, this ability to develop their resilience and um, make something out of this loss that they've experienced that um, sort of lives on the legacy of that person that they've lost by never having somebody else go through the experience that they've gone through. Yeah. And I think AFSP, we pride ourselves on, um, despite everything, wanting to lead with hope. Mm -hmm. Like that's just something that we, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think as we, you know, wrap up a little bit, some of the takeaways that I hear are checking out AFSP.org website. Um, it sounds like September is a big month for the organization and the walk, um, but also just listening when someone is in that period of crisis um, and then checking out the 988 that's coming out in July, which is right around the corner. Mm -hmm. um, but is there anything else that you want listeners to know? Well, I think one thing I would say is don't ever assume somebody else is going to bring it up. Yes. So um, if you are worried about somebody or you're concerned um, and you think, oh, well, T will say I'm, they know, she knows her better. Mm -hmm. Don't assume anybody else is going to say it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and even if you're wrong, there's no harm in that. Nobody, yeah. if, if I said to you, you know, you see, you haven't seemed like yourself lately. Um, I know you haven't been going out with us after work anymore. Um, and I just want to let you know, I'm, I'm here for you if you need something. Well, even if you weren't having suicidal thoughts or feeling down, how would that make you feel if I said yeah. that? Yeah. It'd make me feel good. Yeah. Like, oh, somebody sees me and somebody cares yeah. about. Just notice that I was not my normal self. Right. And yeah. so, you know, we think about like universal precautions, like, you know, in the healthcare industry, we wear gloves everywhere. We wear masks now all of the time there. And not every person we come into contact has that, but you're not going to hurt anything by wearing the gloves. Mm -hmm. And so right. we can we can do these kinds of things and say things to people. Um, and it also lets people know that we see them. Yes. So, Yes. Yeah. 
Well, thank you both again for this amazing talk and podcast uh, today. So, Tia, I'm sure we will see you again. (laughs) I'll Um, be prepping your office for you next time. I appreciate it. I might have to get a sidecar or something. (laughs) Just put a little attached with Tia. Yeah, something. But thank you so much. Um, And this was, I think, a great discussion for Mental Health Awareness Month. So, thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Lady Lawyer League podcast and be sure to like and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. If you would like to learn more about our firm, Hightower Ref Law, please visit our website at hrlawomaha.com. We'll see you next week.